RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, let's talk to Jonathan Ailing from the Free Speech Union. We chatted with Jonathan, gosh, not too long ago, within a week or so ago, about the RFP for what looked like a kind of disinformation project. And now Jonathan's back again because there's been more action. Jonathan, now the government is talking about establishing a new regime. Um, of course, there have been earlier regimes to uh, police media, et cetera, but new regime, which seems to want to cover pretty well everything we've got now, social media, uh, the online space. I guess we would be subject to this with the number of followers. Uh, if this comes through, you would be as well. So pick up. I see what Janet Wilson, you've been talking to her, well-known journalist, is calling an Orwellian move, basically. Bring us up to date with what's happened here and how you're responding. So for about two years now, uh, the Department of Internal Affairs, which is the uh, ministry effectively that is currently tasked with uh, the oversight um, responsibilities, the censorship regime that we have in New Zealand, there's about five pillars to the censorship regime that we have. And uh, Department of Internal Affairs has been conducting a review of the status quo. And uh, they were doing what's called the content regulation review. And the Free Speech Union had had an opportunity to meet with them on a number of occasions over this process to uh, for us to speak up on the need of counter speech for hands off government approach. We had been given the indication, I understand other civil actors and journalists also had been really told that this wasn't going to happen uh, before the election. And when the review was reported back, that it would be quite a hands-off approach. What we've seen instead is uh, a, a proposal release that suggests legislation be drafted for a new regulator body to be created by Parliament, replacing the uh, the censorship regime that exists at the moment. So it would do away with the Classifications Act, do away with uh, the Broadcasting Standards Authority and the Media Council. And it would uh, instead have a regulator uh, stand across all traditional and social media platforms. So it would be one unified body that would be tasked with uh, facilitating the drafting of codes in industry or if they don't do it, uh, drafting it themselves so that different codes uh, regulate different areas of the media environment. This is quite a significant uh, shift away from what has uh, occurred to date. Uh, the Media Council, for example, is a voluntary body and obviously uh many um, alternative media sites such as uh, Reality Check Radio or others like it actually don't have regulation covering at the moment beyond what standard civil law uh, or even portions of criminal law would apply, you know, for, for basic standards of content. And so if, you, if you're not um, breaking, you know, really serious objectionable levels, child pornography, terrorist activity, incitement to harm, that kind of thing, uh, the, the standards are relatively uh, open at the moment, as they should be in the social media environment, not least because for the most part, you're dealing with individuals and their speech there. Uh, what we're seeing, though, is is that the uh, Department of Internal Affairs is suggesting a regular a regulatory body be set up to treat 
individuals tweets and facebook posts and personal blogs or podcasts the same as you would a, a herald editorial article uh the standards are quite significant the shift is quite significant and we think it's quite uh exactly as janet wilson says an orwellian approach uh, a, a solution looking for a problem in many ways yeah so uh who's who's come up with this who who are the people who is the entity internal affairs i think you mentioned who and why do we know why they want to do this is it a sense of a loss of control or are they done with people criticizing them well i i genuinely don't think it comes from such a an explicit motivation we're being criticized we're going to shut that down i i i think that can often be the effects but i i think the the motivation is, is often more complex and and so the discussion document that uh we were leaked ahead of time which meant the free speech union was first out of the gate in terms of breaking the story and revealing the intent of dia to set this regulatory framework up uh our intent was to give DIA a bit of a bloody nose from the outset because this is not the way we think they should be attempting to address the problem. And you ask, well, what is the problem that they see? The way that they start the discussion document is by claiming that, uh, you know, something like 83% of people claim that they have uh, been exposed to material that is harmful in the internet in the past year or, or some similar figure is that specified at all or is that just a no 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 that's that's what it says that, that, that it's well uh, how can anyone take that seriously that you just can't take that seriously well I also think you have to consider that within a context of uh, the likes of, of um, you know, the Disinformation Project and, and Kate Hanna and, and, and Internet New Zealand and numerous other actors drumming up this hysteria as to what is occurring online. And so so on one hand, Paul, we would definitely say that that there is content online that is entirely inappropriate, that is harmful, that that should be removed. And again, is that the child porn and that sort absolutely. of category? Well, I don't see that. I've never seen that. I don't no, go looking for right. it. 99.9% .9 of people are in that zone. So that's right. And so I would say on one hand, you've got that material. And and I just want to make really clear to your listeners, that's not the material we're talking about. And then I think there's a second category that material i think we, we could say mm, this isn't having a good impact on our society for whatever reason but that's quite a different give me category. an example oh i i would say a material that is promoting young people to have uh, eating disorders what but, about um changing their gender and removing breasts absolutely and things there, there like would that be, there, seems absolutely. to be encouraged there would be there would be some people who claim that that is really harmful. Again, I at that point I would say the government or an independent regulator shouldn't be the one trying to control that. Sure, we we, we need checks and balances in place. From a, my perspective, I would say if you're over 18, uh, as an adult, you should be the one to choose what is harmful and how to how to develop safety in your online conduct. And there are ways that you can go up. There's a lot of software. There's a lot of uh, uh, techniques that you can go so that you don't come across material that, that will do you harm if you're an adult. If you're a child, then really I think it's your caregiver and the community around you that is responsible to make sure that the internet um, consumption that you have is appropriate it's always been the way it's always absolutely. been absolutely and and again i would i would uh say again that um outfits like netsafe do a lot of work 
to ensure that there's education and there are resources so that parents or caregivers more generally are aware of maybe trends that are out there or certain material that are circulating around young people. I, I have a, a son who, a, 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 you know, a toddler who accidentally the other day bought a horror film off Apple Music just by because he was clicking the the mm. uh, the remote too often. You know, these sort of things happen. I don't want the government coming in and going, well, we're going to crack down on this because there was potential harm there. I agree. I don't want my son watching a horror film as a two-year-old, but I'm responsible to make sure that there are safeguards in place there. And I think a lot of the material that th that this proposal is really seeking to address falls in that category. But there is another category as well, uh, a third category where I would say, I don't think that is harmful. I don't think that is a question of safety. It's just a question of difference. It's a question of robust society. And and again, you know, four-year-olds probably don't need to be exposed to the, the robust debates of, of politics well, well, or whatever. They're not anyway. Well, that, that, well, that's right. But, you know, if, if a 14-year-old is exposed to the difference between a centre-left and a centre-right view of the economy – I say we're better for it. And uh, and I'm not sure that's the right example, actually, for, for what uh, might be shut down here. But certainly some of the cultural issues. We are, This will be a census greatest dream for how to control public discourse. The material itself won't be directly taken down. That would be quite um, explicit and, and, and direct. Instead, uh, algorithms will be deployed to make sure even if you post something on Facebook, no one else will see it. Or if, if you have something... Uh, on Google, it will be, you know, a 107th option uh, in the list of things that you might That's come That's the across. coward's way of doing it. It's censorship by stealth in many ways. And mm. I, I hope I hope we're able over the next eight weeks that this consultation goes on. The deadline is July 31st. I hope we're able to have a mature discussion where we can say, yes, there are different categories of information. And yes, we should interact with that information in different ways. But the disposition largely should be to allow individuals to make the choices for themselves. That's what a free society does. And uh, I think that while good intentions may arguably, arguably be at play, you might argue that good intentions are not at play, but, uh, you know, giving giving DIA the benefit of the doubt, we might say that that they have the best intentions of Kiwis at heart. I, I hope they've also given... Do you really believe that? Come on. Well, I look. I look at um, the. the I, I've I've personally interacted with a number of the advisors there, and I think uh, it's simplistic, but I don't think it's malicious. And having worked in the Beehive, I know. Um, don't chalk up to conspiracy. What 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 simple? Um, look what happened it, over the COVID thing. Look a, what happened. A, absolutely, and so you, uh, and that's why uh, no one can trust these people, honestly. And 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 whether the uh, malicious intents at play here or not. That is a fair point, that it does nothing to build that's trust That's totally fair. It's where that's everything. And and that was shown that there was malicious intent to demonize people, a whole category of society. And I'm seeing now what I would say and what do I know, that this is the response. They don't want that happening anymore. They want well, free reign. Certainly, you know, as as you said in your intro, uh, the free speech union would be uh, covered under this regulator model because we have eighty thousand uh, supporters around the country. So, uh, the, any platform with more than twenty five thousand supporters or, or um, accounts, I think they call it, or a, a larger audience than one hundred thousand in a year, and our audience is significantly larger than that. I imagine yours is as well. It is. We're in the zone for sure. It's, it suddenly puts you under this re regulatory model. They want that. They don't want a us freewheeling out there because we criticize them.
It, it, it brings a, a whole portion of media in line that has emerged over the past 20 years that, uh, that has actually managed to escape beyond the constraints and, and for better or worse, uh, speak as openly as they want. And so... No, for uh, better. <laughs> well, well you, uh, you, I, think, I, think that's, I think that is a fair comment. And certainly the potential of the internet 25 years ago was listed as a very democratizing free speech um, catalyst because governments would not be able to censor it. And we've seen that's not the case, that government's going to work very hard to try and keep that genie in the bottle. Uh, I don't think, A, that will work, and B, I don't think that would be good even if it did. What about the timing with the RFP? seems to be, well, is it coincidental? It seems like they're lining up the ducks, man. Uh, I, I think... I, I don't see any reason to think this is a deliberate coordination, but I would say that... Well, you uh, need those two entities. You need an advisor and you need, you know, a regime to deploy... DIA is a, is, a very, is a very large ministry. Uh, it reports to seven ministers uh, and, and DPMC is quite... So there's nothing in the timing of that. There is for me, but no, nothing for you. I, I don't believe so. But what I would say is the, what it speaks to is, is not a concerted conspiracy, but a general culture. And I would say a general culture is, is more troubling. It's, it, I don't think DPMC and DIA are talking to each other across these work streams. But the problem is they don't need to. They're both thinking in the same way that disinformation needs to be controlled and we need, need a regulator in place to control social media. The problem is not that a few people are coordinating this it's that they don't even need to coordinate it they're very much operating under the same base assumptions and i think that is true in our government in our public service but i i'm concerned that it's true wider across our society as well that there's a large portion of kiwis who uh, are operating with the assumption that the internet is a bad place and and we we haven't even discussed the fact yet that we already have significant regulation over the internet in New Zealand, the Harmful Digital Communications Act, the Free Speech Union would say that probably already goes too far. But even if it doesn't go too far, it is certainly robust enough to address the issues that are being raised. Uh, we're being told that we have a wild west that has no regulation on it. We've had That's a wild west. We've had a wild west for 30 years now, okay, with the internet. I mean, I can't remember exactly when it switched on, but I was around, so I remember that. And it was probably more wild then than it is now. Okay, so why all of a sudden? Eh? Why now? Because they don't like what people are saying about them. It's obvious. I think it's I think it's a, it's a march of progression. We see it across in the EU. We see it's uh, the online safety bill. Yeah, they're all doing it. Why are they all doing it? Because they're all encountering similar issues. Uh, and, and certainly the response, you know, if you want to connect it to two periods out of COVID, COVID was a catalyst of cultural change. I don't think it was necessarily the cause of a lot of these things. Uh, certainly we saw many of these uh, in, in track. Do you think they the, liked having Chantel Baker's live stream going out to 20,000 people when TVNZ had 200? Do you think they liked that? Well, but it's not like that That was the first time it happened, was it? In, in no, but it brings it, that brought it into the focus. That's where absolutely. they saw the power. Absolutely. So this has all been a catalyst. I don't think it has been the cause. 
but but we we are grappling to assess how we engage with this and the, the you know what we can depend on the government is that they will want to retain control uh, and and so what we see is is not something I think is particularly unique with the internet if you look at what happened with the printing press or you look at what happened with the telegram uh, you look at what happened with with email uh, all of this opens up the ability for average people to start to communicate far more easily. Uh, it, it lowers the entry points and the cost for citizen journals and journalists and that kind of thing. And so absolutely there is uh, uh, there are institutions and there are elites who are then challenged by that. What do you think is going to happen here? We'll all jump up and down and make a noise. You make I, a lot of noise and good on you. But are they going to listen? The record is really of not listening too much. So should our default be it's going to happen anyway, the freight train's coming? Certainly not, not in the slightest. And when when the hate speech rules were announced, we said we will defeat these laws. And uh, a lot of people who came alongside us said, yeah, that's nice of you to say, but it's not going to happen. And yet we managed to create such a political choice there that uh, the prime minister removed them from parliament. And I believe we'll be capable, especially in an election year, of uh, of coordinating a response that insists that the government uh, does not adopt uh, th these proposals. I think DIA will be left with some air on their face and i feel uh you know uh, you, you may not agree paul but i feel some sympathy for them because i think the team at dia has attempted to to uh to respond to many different pressures but i think they've landed on the wrong spot with this one and uh and and censorship and and the the regulatory environment that they've responded with is not appropriate and what's interesting here is uh a lot of mainstream journalists are very concerned by this uh Sinead, um B uh, Buka from uh stuff. Uh, Paul Thompson from RNZ, uh, uh, Shane Curry from NZME, they've all spoken out with concerns about uh, about this uh, these proposals as well. And so I think over the next eight weeks, this will become a, uh, a bit of an issue for the government and they will want to move it along. What we are going to do is facilitate tens of thousands of submissions from what it, it, Kiwis who want to have their voices heard on this so that it is really easy for them to do so. So we haven't quite launched our submission yet, but next week there will be a website dedicated to enabling them to do that. We'll be running a petition calling on every party in parliament to uh, abandon these reforms and commit to preserving free speech across the internet. Because in reality, th this is hate speech law for the internet. And, uh, and we realize that the pitfalls that led to the hate speech laws initially been abandoned, the same pitfalls still apply. The subjectivity, the vagueness, the ability for perfectly legal speech to be caught in this nonetheless, all those uh, traps are still in place. We don't want bureaucrats in walk shorts and walk socks telling us what we can say and do is probably what most people think. Speaking of political parties, you'd think this would be grist to the mill or for the mill for the other parties, the freedom-loving parties. Have we heard a peep? Certainly the ACT Party has has responded and spoken out on this. Unsurprisingly, the National Party, I, I've not, uh, and, and I, I could be wrong, I don't believe any public comment has been made. I know uh, at, at the end of last week, no public comment had been made. And that's unfortunate. You know, uh, in November last year, I wrote a stuff column uh, saying, where's Luxon on the hate speech issue? You know, you've got the government on one side doing what they said they would do. You've got ACT responding on the other one. It's actually the role of the leader of the opposition to, to speak out on these issues, though, and make sure his perspective is heard, uh, not just speaking on things that will get a media bite or, or get uh, voters engaged 
engaged. He actually needs to be representing a counter voice. That is the role of the opposition. And so that that doesn't necessarily mean he opposes everything, but it means he uh, expresses the concerns that need to be lifted. And uh, it's unfortunate, but not surprising that Luxon hasn't spoken out yet. Well, with the likes of Sinead Boucher and Paul Thompson um, saying what you've just uh, indicated they said, they're not going to be stopped, are they? (laughs) Or is he? He will get published. Um, The fact that we haven't heard anything from him, and if we don't, we can assume, can't we, that he supports it. Um, it was the National Party that put through the HDCA, the Harmful Digital Communications Act, which which uh, probably, uh, if anything, was a bit of an overreach itself. So I am concerned that you're right, that uh, the National Party would, would possibly look to preserve this. I don't think they would get away with it, with uh, with acts in, in coalition if they were in government. Um, but uh, we actually need them to... Uh, well, ultimately, for a politician or for a political party, it's an instrument of control and we're dumb if we say it's not because you know the the people who are involved this is a small country everyone's uh, connected I, jobs, I, I, I future jobs paul, are at stake you do you do kind of what's expected of you you know i i agree with you paul that it is it, it could be an instrument for control but i don't think an instrument for control from parliament the the the, the regulator would be entirely independent of parliament and would be the one drafting the codes which is actually a bigger problem to me um you know it, there would be a problem if if parliament was the one in charge of the codes but they won't be and i think that's even a bigger issue where we have these um these parties or these actors that are set up that are not democratically elected. There's no recourse to removing them from their role. This won't go through a select committee process. So when I was speaking to journalists uh, last week, we had quite a lot of coverage and, uh, and they said, well, don't you think it's better to be with an independent regulator than with parliament? And I said, no. And they said, wouldn't you have problems with, with a better parliament? I said, yes, we would complain at that point as well, but that doesn't make this the right choice. No one should be drafting these codes. But certainly uh, no one who isn't democratically elected. Okay. And also the time frame. It, it seems incredibly tight for something that has such consequence. It, you know, <laughs> anyone with common sense would say you, you go slow. You go slow with something like that. You don't rush it through. You don't speed it through. You, you, you go very carefully and you take it slow. That doesn't seem to be happening. I don't know if I do see them rushing this, uh, you know, and, and I only say that in terms of, I guess, uh, comparison to other consultations. This is considerably longer. It's almost twice as long that, uh, uh, than the hate speech consultation that was put in place. We have over eight weeks uh, to respond here, which is a fair bit of time for organizations and, and individuals to coordinate their responses. Equally, uh, we won't even, even if it does uh, stay a course, we won't see any legislation till the beginning of 2024 at the earliest. So unlikely that anything would be in law until the end of next year. Uh, so I, 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 while we are maintaining strong opposition to the proposals, uh, our, our opposition doesn't primarily stem from uh, the speed that they're taking. Yeah, but it is of consequence. And Absolutely. It's, you can't, even eight weeks is not that long for something that could change the culture of the country. Actually. No, that's a fair point. All right. So what do we um, uh, expect to see as the next move without sort of playing your hand or showing your hand from Free Speech Union? What's the strategy 
to ramp this up, first of all, the top of mind of people as much as it can be, you're going to have to lobby people, you're going to have to pressure people. Um, what are we going to see sort of at the surface level from you guys? I, I think what, what's very clear is this needs to become a political calculation for Chris Hipkins and his government to go, Is are these proposals that we want to maintain less than four months out from an election? And well, so, his track record's not too good, right? No, I, I, I you know, he's... It's a disaster, uh, actually. He he removed the hate speech rules and we applauded him for yeah, that. Yeah, but that was he, just... <laughs> he did it for political yeah. reasons. Yeah, yeah. But and, if uh, you look at the last few years... Uh, you know, there's a, a lot that sticks to him. Anyway, that's another story, I guess. I so, interrupted you. Carry on. Paul, what we want to see are uh, tens of thousands of Kiwis responding to this, uh, using the tools that we give them to uh, have their voices heard. And uh, when we facilitated submissions for the hate speech laws, it was the largest public consultation uh, that had occurred to, to, at that point. And we think the implications of these proposals could be even larger. So we need to see a larger response. And so uh, we'll be working with, um, with anyone who will uh, stand with us to defend Kiwi's free speech. We are not politically aligned. We will stand with those on the left or the right. And we think both uh, both sides need to stand and say, actually, this is about the right to have the debate, not the substance of it. Silencing certain perspectives online simply because you find them problematic is not a solution to them. And actually, it, it's a fundamental uh, attack on our way of life. If anything was to be in your wheelhouse, this, this is, would have to be, right? Certainly. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Jonathan. We'll keep an eye on what's going on. And at um, the appropriate time, I'm sure we'll catch up again and chat some more. Thanks a lot, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.